You are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Weird Science Marvel Comics Podcast. I'm Jim. I'm your host, and we're going to go through a very quick and streamlined a podcast tonight where we're going to talk about three tie-ins to the Big Dark Web event. I don't know if everybody is loving it as much as the people down at the malt shop, but people down at the malt shop might be the only ones loving it. I don't hear many people talking about the Dark Web stuff when they do. It's not really in a good light, but we'll get through these three tie-in issues and we'll all, you know, kind of suffer through this together. Before we go off to the books, though, let me remind you to go over to Twitter at WS Marvel Comics. Follow us. We'll follow you back. Go to our website, WeirdScienceMarvelComics.com to see written reviews from my man Gabe, my man Carl. Not really me, but. We can go and see what I do over at the YouTube channel, and that is Weird Science Comics, where I have a bunch of comic book review videos. I'm starting to up the ante over there, and then also go to our Patreon to support us for all that we do and get plenty of shows as well, and that is over at patreon.com slash weird science. But Let's not delay this. Let's get through. Again, I said we're doing this new streamlined deal. I've gotten mostly positive feedback from it, so I hope you enjoy it. Very quick, let's see what's going on with these dark web tie-ins right about now. And I know that everybody's loving this dark web. Down at the Five and Dime, they're telling me greatest thing ever. This is dark web Mary Jane and Black Cat number one. I was looking forward to this not because it's a dark web tie-in, but because we get Black Cat written by Jed McKay, which I'm a big fan of, throw Mary Jane in there as a bonus. So I was slightly looking forward to this more than some of these other tie-ins or even the main book. But you know, an event's happening when Jed McKay gets to write some Black Cat, even more so when he gets to do a Mary Jane and Black Cat team-up book. And I did like that last team-up in the Beyond story enough. But I was really wondering how McKay would navigate the recent status quo changes with both of his leads here. I wonder if Zeb Wells actually told Jed McKay anything about what's going on with Mary Jane, because he's pretty much told the regular readers of Amazing Spider-Man two things. Two things are Jack and Squat. We haven't learned anything. So I hope that he actually told Jed McKay something. But we'll see. And in this, we do end up finding out some crazy twist with Mary Jane that I'm not so sure it might not convolute things a little more, but at least it's fun. And that's what I'm looking for here. And I'm not talking about sentient objects trying to eat babies. You know, I don't need a, a stroller talking to eat a baby. And I really don't need Christmas trees yelling and screaming. I'm going to have actual things that are fun. Not things that are supposed to be and just make my eyes roll. And we do get that a bit here. I do promise you have some fun going on in this issue, even with it being a dark web time. But let's jump into this and I'll let you know what that's all about. Here are the credits. It's written by Jed McKay. Art by Vincenzo Caratu. Colors by Brian Reber. Letters by AC's Ariana Mayor, here is a bit of a recap. We'll just read it, even though this isn't number one. Mary Jane Watson's many talents and ambition have led her to success as an actor, executive, fashion model, and business owner. 
Now she's taking on a new role as a mom. So, of course, it stands to reason that her budding friendship with the world's greatest thief, Felicia Hardy, a.k.a. the Black Cat, will never, ever get in the way of that or complicate her life in the slightest. Two people who may complicate matters are Ben Riley, the clone of Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man, and Madeline Pryor, the clone of Jean Grey, a.k.a. Marvel Girl, who have recently sworn revenge against those who have historically wronged them as Chasm and the Goblin Queen of Limbo. Naturally, their first targets are the good people of New York City. And is there that many good people in New York City? I'm from Philadelphia, and pretty much we go through our lives being jealous of people from New York. So I'm allowed to throw shade, right? Because I'm jealous? Doesn't that allow me to do that? I don't know. But here we go, and I'll tell you right now, I am sick of this whole sentient objects trying to eat people thing. I already said it. It wasn't funny the first time we saw it, and it certainly isn't funny the thousandth time we've seen it. We can still have fun here, though, with Felicia and Mary Jane, right? Sure. The problem here is that Jed McCass has to spend a lot of time recapping Zeb Wells' nonsense since these two last teamed up. Felicia is afraid to spill the beans about her and Peter, even though nothing really has happened between the two. But Mary Jane, she's gone through a crazy transformation. I'm not just talking about her new family. Because this issue throws a big twist in here, Mary Jane's powers. And though it's not fully spelled out, it looks like the joke here is that her famous jackpot line is now a power. It certainly mixes things up. And while I'm not sure everybody is going to love it, it might be a lot of fun, especially having Black Cat and the kind of luck she usually brings to the table. But seriously. By the end of this whole run, the story here, if Mary Jane doesn't end up turning into a tiger and says, you hit the jackpot, now I'm a tiger, uh, they somebody's messed up. Somebody's done messed up, but I do think we will end up having that, which also goes well with that as a team up with Black Cat as well. So you get the cat thing, a cat theme. And so you go through this issue, and Jeb McKay does a decent job giving readers a fun little romp. And again, through this, you end up having Felicia kind of a little nervous that she's going to end up spilling the beans, maybe saying something wrong about her and Peter, even though it, it would be tough luck for Mary Jane. She seems to have moved on. She has a family, all of that. And even in this, you get some fun little callbacks and things like that where even Felicia calls up Tony Stark, who we ended up having the stuff in the Iron Cat book. Well, she ends up having his number calls up, and it's funny because she says, hey, I need your help. And Tony's like, why would I help you? I mean, really, Felicia has caused him a lot of problems. And he says, you know, why would I help you? And, oh, no, no, it's Mary Jane that needs help. And boom, he, he doesn't even bat an eye. Okay, well, tell me where to go, whatnot, and sends drones to protect Mary Jane's new family. And I like that. I like seeing how important Mary Jane is. To a lot of the other characters in the MCU as as important as she is to everybody, but it seems Zeb Wells, right? You know what I'm saying here? But in this, there is some fun, you know, and you end up having Black Cat and Mary Jane swinging through the streets of New York City. They're kicking sentient objects' asses, right? Until they end up in limbo. And by the end of the issue, Mary Jane ends up being a pudding monster. You'll have to see that to believe it. And they do end up face-to-face with a bad guy. I won't reveal who it is, but I'm not sure that everybody or anybody would be that 
crazed about it anyway. But I don't know. The the whole thing when I see this and being in limbo and seeing some magic stuff being thrown about, I'm wondering if Jed McKay might use this story to also fix some things with Black Fox so that if we would continue later on in another volume of Black Cat that we'll get him back as well. And that would make this a tie-in that would be a little more important overall to Black Cat fans, I think. So I'm hoping that that goes on here as well, and that would be pretty cool. But really, this is just, again, a nice little issue to have Jed McKay doing Black Cat and Mary Jane, you know, to a little lesser degree, but having the team up. It's just nice to have it going on again. And while it wasn't a great issue, uh, it was pretty good as far as these dark web stories and tie-ins have gone so far i think it's one of the better ones so far so if you are looking to you know check things out you might actually even want to jump into this even if you're not reading everything dark web i'm I'm trying to get to squirming a little because i don't know that i'd recommend it just because this dark web's nonsense but i'll tell you just me personally If I ended up dropping all the dark web stuff, personally, I'd still continue reading this because of maybe finding out some things about Mary Jane, which I'm interested in, but also getting the Jed McKay doing Black Cat. And the art's really good. I like the art and all of that. But again, this is all about having fun, all about McKay writing Black Cat again, and I'm all for that. So I'm going to give this one a 7.5 out of 10. Now we will go off to the next dark web tie-in. And while it features another character I like, I didn't really like this issue as much. I am talking about dark web Miss Marvel number one. Another dark web tie-in. Don't we all love these? It's dark web Miss Marvel number one. And it may shock you, but I am a Kamala Khan Miss Marvel fan. She is actually one of my favorite characters. As a fan, though, I will tell you right now, most of the time she's written horribly, and I haven't even been able to get through a lot of the most recent stuff she's been in. But this is a dark web tie-in, and I am your dark web boy. Speaking of which, I got a notification from McAfee yesterday that my email address was found in the dark web, so that's just one more reason why I hate this event. Here are the credits for Dark Web Miss Marvel number one. It's written by Sabir Perzana, art by Francesco Mortorino, colors by Protobunkers Dono Sanchez Almara, and letters by VCs Ariana Mayer. Here's the recap Kamala Khan was a normal teenage girl until the Terrigen Mist washed over Jersey City. That's what that stench in New Jersey is, right? Take that, New Jersey, and unlock her latent inhuman powers. Using her newfound polymorph powers, She became the hero known as Miss Marvel. Recently, Kamala's taken a position as a lab intern at Oscorp, the massive corporation run by Norman Osborn, the reformed Green Goblin. Meanwhile, Ben Riley, the clone of Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man, and Madeline Pryor, the clone of Jean Grey, a.k.a. Marvel Girl, have recently sworn revenge against those who have historically wronged them as Chasm and the Goblin Queen of Limbo. They've set their sights on the heroes of New York City first, Dot, dot, dot. Now, if you remember, Kamala popped up in Dark Web number one, seemingly because Ben Riley Chasm was just reading a book that sounded like her name. And I know that's not really the case, but why else is she here? And in here, I don't actually just mean the Dark Web event. 
that stole my email address. But also, Kamala has been working as a lab intern at Oscorp in Zeb Wells' Amazing Spider-Man run. I, I don't get it. I mean, I get it. Wells wants to force Kamala into his book and just doesn't seem to know the character. The funny thing is, he could have just had Kamala's best bud and tech guy, Bruno, work at Oscorp and get the same result. You want Kamala in the story, she shows up to visit Bruno, and there you go. But Kamala, not really a tech gal or scientist, more of a cosplayer-type deal and just student. At least Perzada kind of addresses that situation but really doesn't do much else in this issue. Like the other tie-ins so far, Kamala has to deal with inanimate objects coming to life thanks to Madeline Pryor playing her sus organ. I know that sounds sexy. It really isn't. Prasada then tries to play it up like a demonic beauty in the beast with lab equipment coming to life and throwing shade at Kamala, but this whole scenario is already stale and really wasn't that good to begin with. In the end, Kamala gets to do Miss Marvel stuff, which is cool. She saves her lab partner and maybe future love interest Arjun runs into Ben Riley reading his book and ends up in limbo by the end. There really is no reason to read this as a dark web tie-in, though. However, there are a couple things here that may grab Kamala fans' interest. You get the usual dose of family and friends, and throughout the issue, Kamala is being stalked by the inventor, who died back in 2015. If you don't know, the inventor is a clone of Thomas Edison mixed with a cockatiel, and that is as sexy as it sounds. And I know most of you are probably rolling your eyes at that right now, and I understand why. It's just a shame that Prasada doesn't really do anything to get non-Kamala fans up to speed on much of anything here, and then really doesn't do much for the dark web story to make this feel worthwhile. I mean, you end up having this villain who is crazy, Thomas Edison clone mixed with a cockatiel, who has been dead for over seven years, and you really don't do anything to get people up to speed. So overall, this is yet another bad dark web tie-in issue that most should just avoid. The art is good, but when you're drawing sentient crap-talking microscopes, I really don't expect much anyway. I'm giving this a 5 out of 10 for this issue, but from now on, I will be taking an additional one point off my score at the end until the dark web stops messing with my email address. So I'm ending this four out of ten. All right. And now we are going to go to yet another dark web tie-in. We're going to go and talk about Gold Goblin number two. Gold Goblin number two. And here we are again with yet another dark web tie-in. And this one is by Christopher Cantwell, so it has to be great, right? I mentioned in my review for issue number one that I was kind of upset that this book was even a thing. It's not that I don't like Norman as Gold Goblin. It's just that I really like the mystery of whether Norman was telling the truth or not about wanting redemption in The Amazing Spider-Man. It's funny because while I bitch and moan on the reg about the other dangling mysteries Zeb Wells was doing, the Norman one was actually interesting and well-played, but That's kind of gone now as Cantwell takes us into the mind of Norman once again to show us the twisted and tormented man that just can't seem to forget his sins and tells us about it over and over and over. But before I go on, I do want to mention that during my review for Dark Web Miss Marvel, I told everyone how the Dark Web stole my email address and until they returned it, I was going to take an extra point off my scores. Well, someone got a hold of me and informed me 
that the dark web that took my email address is not the same dark web that we get here in this event. I really don't believe them and think they might be in cahoots, but I will suspend my policy while I look into the matter. And really, Christopher Cantwell does not need any sort of handicap. Here are the credits for Gold Goblin number two. It's written by Christopher Cantwell, art by Lan Medina, colors by Antonio Fabella, and letters by BC's Joe Sabino. Here is the recap. The forces of limbo have been unleashed upon New York City by Chasm, the clone of Spider-Man, and the Goblin Queen, the clone of Marvel Girl, as they try to take revenge on those who've wronged them. Turns out back in his Green Goblin days, Norman Osborn wronged Chasm, better known as Ben Riley, a whole lot. Using his resemblance to Peter Parker, Chasm infiltrated Oscorp and sabotaged the Gold Goblin tech before beating Norman unconscious. And there is the recap, and away we go. The issue opens with a weird play by Cantwell, and in my mind, it's a bit of a misplay. You just heard in the recap that the last issue ended with Ben Riley beating Norman unconscious. So why not start this issue making the reader think that Ben may have killed Norman? I say this because the issue opens with it looking like Ben might have killed Norman. But it's Green Goblin Norman. Spidey's there. It's obvious this is just a I'm unconscious having nightmares before it's revealed to be just that. Now, between issues, Liz Allen has somehow saved Norman and taken him up to his lab. But now that he's woken up, she wants him to come home with her to be with Normie and Stanley. Now, why didn't she just take him home while he was unconscious? I guess we needed to see Norman turning wrenches on his glider while Cantwell has Norman's assistant Barb deliver one of the cringiest lines I've read in quite some time. Now, I think about it, and actually I think Cantwell wanted to deep dive into his main character and show that while the rest of New York City is very concerned with inanimate objects coming to life and trying to eat people, Norman's really concerned with one very important thing. Who is going to roll his calls? Now, after seeing that Owen Ward, the current jack-o'-lantern, is in the hospital after his fight with Norman last issue, we head off to see that Norman has agreed to go home with Liz Barb's going there with them, and after sideswiping a hot dog cart and driving through Central Park, he crashes their car into a tree and then has a conversation with his long-dead dog, Mucky. And if you didn't know, you find out that Norman killed Mucky as a kid, which is really messed up, which is par for the course here. And we get it. Norman can't forget his sins. Done in a subtle way, this could have been something interesting, but Cantwell is just too heavy-handed for that. Plus, I hope someone mentions down the line that forgetting your sins is hardly redeeming yourself or making yourself better. Maybe that is a bit of a twist. Maybe that is going to be a focus of this later. But right now, it really feels like Cantwell thinks that to redeem yourself, you just have to pretty much make yourself a clean slate to forget all the bad things that you have done. The heavy hand of this continues, though, as they hoof it off to Alchemex, where Norman runs into Ashley Kafka. I was wondering when she would show up in this event because we have an event with the Goblin Queen. We certainly need Queen Goblin in it as well. And if you have been following what's been going on with Norman since Nick Spencer's Sin Eater story in The Amazing Spider-Man, this will probably interest you more than someone just popping in here for the Dark Web event. Norman does find out that his sins are what turned Ashley into the Queen Goblin and that Peter knew this all along and didn't tell him. Cantwell. As heavy-handed as always, though, 
throws in a line that surely confirms something we all know will happen. Norman will take back his sins eventually, most likely to save Kafka. But for now, he keeps on running. But those pesky sins might be getting too fast for him. The issue ends with Ghost Gwen Stacy back again, messing with Norman's mind, and the jack-o'-lantern preparing for round two. And this is hardly a dark web tie-in issue. It doesn't even feel like a dark web tie-in issue. There's a couple mentions of things, but really, this is more concerned with Norman and his kind of road to redemption maybe coming into a U-turn here because of his sins coming back at him. It's also hardly a good issue as well. The art is very uneven, very, very uneven. And I've said it a couple of times already, it's just so heavy-handed. Christopher Cantwell is not a subtle writer. This is a story that needs a bit more care than what he is giving it. But I'm sure there'll be people who agree and disagree with me. But overall, I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10 and hope that Cantwell gives it a more delicate touch from here on out because this should be better, could be better. And he might just kind of be fumbling through this as we go on. But and that is it. That is it for a very quick streamlined podcast focusing on the dark web. I mean, everything I'm reading right now, 90 percent is dark web. I'm not really enjoying it, but here we are. Here we are. So everybody, please go to Twitter at WS Marvel Comics. Follow us. We'll follow you back. Go to our website, WeirdScienceMarvelComics.com to see written views, mainly by Gabe, but also my man Carl. See a little different point of view on a lot of those. And then go to our Patreon, Patreon.com slash WeirdScience, where you can get a bunch of shows, you know, extra podcasts, all that sort of thing, and help us out for what we're doing. Also, check out our YouTube channel. Just look up Weird Science Comics, and you'll find that. There'll also be links in the show notes. But that's it, everybody. And with all that, I will talk to everybody later. Go read comics. You are all weirdos. Weird Science is the revolution. Weird Science is the revolution. Weird Science is the revolution.